Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Great is the Lord, a study on the book of Malachi. For more information on CBC or how you can get connected, go to the website, www.cbcsavannah.com. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. We're going to jump in to Malachi 3. If you know anything about Malachi, you've been reading ahead, this is the one passage that everyone knows in Malachi. It's got the dreaded T word, tithe. It's a bad word. It's a cuss word, right? And, and here's the reaction you typically see to when you're talking about money, stewardship, giving, all that kind of thing. You have the one side where people are like, and I know there's some visitors this morning in here in a video venue, probably more in a video venue because you showed up right on time and you got put over there. But here's Here's the reaction. See, I told you the church just wants my money. That's all they talk about is money, money, money. Just want my money. Right? And if you're here this morning, you need to understand, first of all, we don't even take an offering, so that's not true. You will not have a plate passed in front of you, I promise. So we don't want your money. But we talk about it when the scripture talks about it. The way we do things here is we work through books of the Bible. When the scripture talks about it, we'll talk about it. And that's it. The other side is those who are here, they're like, I wrote my check this week. I'm good. I'm out. I'm going to go get some coffee, and you sinners, listen to Bill. <laughs> okay, that's, that's the other side, and both are wrong. I used to when I was a young preacher. I'm still a young preacher, but when I was even younger, I hated talking about money. I just I, I, I dreaded passages like this, but I, I, I'm actually excited about this morning. Here's why. Anything God has for us is good. You, know, you often hear people say, well, the scripture is like the med- our medicine. You just got to take it. It tastes bad, but it's good for you. I don't know where people get that. When I read David in the Psalms, I, I read it, that the word is a delight, and it's sweet to the taste. If God is good, and he has good things for his children, then what he says is good. So we can delight in what he says, even if he says it about money, because it's not like God is in heaven thinking, how can I stick it to these people now, because I want them to be miserable. Is that how our father is? Or is he saying, I want what's best for them, because I'm a loving dad. I have loved you. Remember we started the, what, this book that way? So whatever he says is good for us. And so we can come knowing that when God talks about stewardship and things, Jesus talks about money more than any other topic in the Gospels. And so we're going to talk about stewardship and money today. Specifically, and we talk about stewardship a lot because it's, it's really we're managers. We're going to talk in the context specifically of money and in the church because that's the context of this passage. So yes, you have talents and yes, you have time. And those are things that we're supposed to steward for the kingdom. But this morning, we're going to zoom kind of in on the money side because that's where the text goes. All right. And if you're new, or you've been, you're visiting, you haven't been here for a while, here's where we've been. We have a group of people that living about 400 years before Christ who are just grumpy, frumpy people. They show up. They believe all the right stuff. They're orthodox, but they're cold-hearted. And they're mad and they're bitter. And God sends his prophet Malachi, whose name means my messenger, to waken their souls. And they don't need to do more stuff. They're cold-hearted orthodoxy. It doesn't mean more busyness. It doesn't need more church services, more quiet times, more nothing. What it needs is to be pointed back to the greatness of their God. And so we saw the greatness of his love and the greatness of his faithfulness and the greatness of his glory and the greatness of his justice and the greatness of his truth. And today we're going to see the greatness of his generosity, that he is a generous God. So let me jump in. Let me read our text because we got a lot to cover and I want to get the baptisms and we are already overlapping big time in between services. So let me go. Verse six of chapter three. For I, the Lord, do not change. 
Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes, have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts." Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And so what we've seen is there's this kind of running conversation between God and his people where he says, you do this, and they're like, no, we don't. And he's like, yes, you do. But where he starts today is, verse 6, I don't change. I am what theologians use a fancy word, immutable. It's a big word, but it just means that, that Christ is today, yesterday, today, and forever. A billion years ago, God was the same. In a billion years, he's going to be the same. He does not change. And he says, the reason that you exist, Jacob, O Israel, is because I don't change. Because I made a promise with your forefathers that I would bless you. And so I'm keeping my word because I do not change. I said I have loved you. I still love you. I said I would help you. I still help you. I said I would forgive you. I still will forgive me. Forgive you. So he says, now return to me. He says, your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me. Come back. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? He says return, which would have been a shock to them because they're thinking, where have we gone? We're here. We're at the temple. We're doing the stuff. We're singing the songs. We're going through the motions. God's got the funny hat on. We're doing all the stuff. It's not us that have moved, God. It's you have moved. I mean, look around. Everything's falling apart. Taxes are high. Harvest is bad. You're the one who's moved, not us. He says, no, I am unchanging. I am faithful. You have moved. You need to return to me. Well, how? And that's, not a, declar- that's a declaration of innocence. That's not what we really want to know. How shall we return? He says to them, let's take out your checkbook. Let's look at your bank statement. Let's talk about that. Right? So verse 8, will a man rob God? And it's a silly question. Will a man rob? Of course he won't. He's God. What what are they, stealing pens from the temple? Some of y'all stealing pens. (laughs) Guilty. God is just. He will repay. But how do you rob God? It's a silly question. That's the point. It's like saying, does Bill Fowler play LeBron James one-on-one? No, it's a silly question. Doesn't happen. Does a man rob God? Yet, and that word yet contrasts it. Yes, it is silly. Yet, you are robbing me. And then a response How? How are we robbed you? How have we stole from you, God? And the answer is in your ties and in your contributions. Now, there's the T word. It's, it's kind of a churchy word. It's actually not a churchy word. It's worse. It's a math word, right? And all a tithe is, is it just means tenth. It's a tenth, 10%. And so let me just kind of real quickly unpack where this comes from in the scriptures, because you hear the word tithe and some of you don't even know what it means, and that's fine. 
the first time the, the word tithe or tithing shows up in the Bible is 500 years before Moses with a man named Abraham. And he goes on kind of a, a mission, impossible mission to rescue his nephew Lot. He, he defeats five kings. And on his way back home, he runs into a king who is also a priest in the city of Jerusalem. This is a foreshadowing figure of someone who would come later who was a king and a priest who was in Jerusalem, a foreshadow of Christ. But he gives a tithe, a tenth to this man named Melchizedek. All right, it's the first time you see it. A tenth of his spoils is given to this king priest. Next time you see it is in the Mosaic Law, where God tells his people, you bring me 10% off the top, your first and your best. Now, when you think 10%, don't think money. There was no like envelope system in Israel. Oh, everyone got the blue envelopes this year? I don't like the design. Who, who, who put that on there? They don't have an envelope system. It is an agrarian society. So if you are a barley farmer, what are you bringing? Barley. If you have an orchard, you're bringing your wine. If you have an olive vineyard, you're bringing olive oil. If you have sheep, you're bringing, you're bringing whatever your, li- your livelihood was up to the temple. That's why it says later to bring it to the storehouse. That's not a fancy religious term. There was rooms in the temple that were like big closets, and you would put all the grain in. We used to have closets at this church. Now we have kids, all right? We knocked out all the closets, and we put children. That's the storehouses, all right? But that's the idea. You store grain and oil and all these things from the tithes of the people. And there was actually three different tithes that the Old Testament saints had to, had to bring. Three, not just one. The first one was called the Levitical tithe, Numbers 18, and it was to provide for the Levites. Remember, the Levites, when they're divvying out the land, everyone gets a, a section of land. The Levites don't get land. They get to be in the temple. So how do they provide for themselves? How do they live? How do they eat? The people would bring their tithes so that they could eat. And when the people ceased bringing their tithes so that they could eat, what happened? They had to go out into the fields and work, which means no one was at the temple. That happened in Nehemiah. So that was the Levitical tithe. Then there was what I call, this is not the theological term, but this is the bill term, the party tithe. Every year they'd have to go up for the feasts of Israel, a couple of the feasts, and they would bring a tithe of their stuff so that they could eat it and celebrate and share it with their buddies and hang out. It wasn't even like we have to give it to someone. It was you bring a tenth and you just share it and we have a big celebration for a week during the feast of booze or whatever and just celebrate God's goodness. So that's the second tithe. And then the third tithe was every third year they had to bring up a tithe for the poor, okay? Because they didn't have Social Security, disability, government programs. So the government programs were you bring to the temple, and the temple divvies out to the foreigner, to the widow, to the orphan, as is needed. So if you do all the math, that's 23 and one-third percent, right? 23.333, because the poor tithe was uh, only every third year, right? And, and so that was what they were bringing. So when you see tithes and contributions, when God says, you're robbing me, you're not bringing this, that is what the, the, the Jews and Malachi's, they were blowing off. And maybe they had reason, maybe they're thinking, oh Lord, we have high taxes for Persia, we can't afford, you know, the harvest is bad, we haven't had as many sheep this year, we haven't had as much grain, we just can't afford to do this, Lord, the locusts are bad and everything else. And the irony is God saying, the reason you cannot afford to is because you're under a curse, Verse 9, he says, you're cursed with a curse because you're robbing me, the whole nation. They thought we can't afford to bring it. He said, the reason you can't afford it is because I am cursing the land. Because under the old covenant, he said, if you obey me, 
I'm going to bless the land. I'm going to rebuke the, the locusts. I'm going to bring the rains. If you don't obey me, the land's going to be cursed. And so they're saying, we can't afford it. He's saying, you can't afford it because you're not, you're not obedient to me. So bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And here's what, this great statement. Thereby, t- put me to the test. This is the only place in all of the Bible that God says, test him. In fact, otherwise, other places it says, don't test the Lord, don't test the Lord, don't test the Lord. Here he says, test me. You just check and see if I'm generous. You check and see if I can provide. I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Test me in this. Now, I realize that some guys on TV in fancy suits, they take this passage and they twist it and they say, if you just sow seed, if you believe, you too can have a Gulf Stream. In fact, you just keep giving, and God will open up heaven, and boop, the Gulf Stream comes down, and you can take the Gulf Stream to church on Sundays and to the Walmart, right? Just, you have enough, enough faith. And they use this passage, and they twist it and take it out of context. It never promises that you're going to be rich. What does he say? I will bless you until there is no more what? Need. I'm, I'm going to take care of you. I'm a dad who takes care of his kids. If you would just trust me. I'll rebuke the devourer, verse 11. The devourer is some kind of pest, some kind of bug or locust that's eating their crops. I'll take care of the locusts. I'll take care of the grasshoppers. I sent a bunch of them to Egypt. I can certainly take them away. I will bring the fruit of your vines. They're not going to fail. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? He said, I want to bless you. Verse 12, I want the nations to look at you and think, how awesome is your God? Then all the nations, oh, All the nations will call you blessed, that you will be a land of delight. I want you to be a land of delight. So the people see you and are like, wow, isn't their God awesome? That's what he wants for his people, right? So he says, trust me, take my word. I am a generous God. I am good. And so here's what we got to ask. How does this passage written to Jewish people living 450 years before Christ come, how does it apply to us? Right? Where, where does it work? Because we are not an agrarian society, right? Please don't bring your kale and put it in the giving box, okay? We don't want your kale, all right? You can bring a, a pig to the, to the barbecue this afternoon if you want, but don't, we don't need your produce, and we are not old covenant Israel with the promise that God will bring the rain or not bring the rain. That is not who we are. So how does this apply? And there's a lot of debate and what are, you know, people, theologians all over the place. I'm going to let you know where I am in a minute. But when you come to the scripture, when you see commands and promises, there's three different categories you can break them into. And this will help you interpret the scripture properly. The first one is this. There are promises and commands in scripture that are for one person in one specific time and they're not for you. So we looked at Naaman the leper at Easter. All right, he says he's told to wash in the River Jordan seven times and he'll be healed. If you have a skin condition, don't go down to the Savannah River thinking that's going to help you. This is going to make it worse, all right? That's not a command. Peter's told to walk on water. Do not go down to Tybee. Jump off the pier thinking you're going to be good to go. You're going to get baptized. That's what's going to happen if you do that, okay? That is a command for a specific person in time. There's also commands that are for all people at all times. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Honor your father and your mother. Flee immorality. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. That's for all people for all time. And then there's those commands and promises that are for a specific group of people that have a a lifetime principle that it may not look exactly the same, but it's very similar. For instance, greet one another with a holy kiss. Not many of y'all did that this morning, but you did shake hands. You said hello. You gave a hug. So the, the, the command is this, but the principle is be hospitable. Or how about this one? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Y'all are here on Sunday. 
That's disobedience. If you were here on Saturday with the rest of the people last night, you'd be obeying the Sabbath, right? What's the principle? There should be a day where we gather to worship, and there should be a day of rest, right? The command, remember this, that's what it looks like. The, the tithe, as I understand it, it is an old covenant deal, which is good for most of us because the average American gives 3 to 4% and not 23.3%. But that doesn't mean we're off the hook because when Jesus talks about giving and Paul talks about giving, he expands the, he expands the principle and they get to the heart of the matter, which is the heart, right? He says, return to me, not return to the giving, not return to the tithe, not get your percentages up, people. Come back to me. Giving is a heart issue. It is. It's, it's out of the heart. And, and let me just say this real quick before we jump into some principles. I'm glad that I get to preach this text to y'all, and this is no way reactionary. I know some of you, oh, they're just building a building. They're trying to raise money. Nope. The only reason I am preaching this this morning is because it's next. And that's the way we do things here. Last week, I finished at verse 5. This week, I picked up at verse 6. There is no agenda. We are completely well, well under budget. Even though the building's a little bit more expensive than we thought, we're still going to pay it off in just a couple years. I mean, we are in a good place. You are an extremely generous church. I and mean, we asked for some help last couple weeks ago for the fire. We had thousands of dollars donated, thousands in cards and cash. This church, percentage-wise, gives over 75% of, of these pe- people this church give which is huge in church. I mean, the average church is like 20, 30%. I mean, it's huge. You are a super general. This is not reactionary. This is not fundraising for a building. Fundraising for a building is God's people living in light of his generosity. That's what it is. We don't have a thermometer up. Oh, look, we're almost there. Woo! It's okay. So, So that's not coming. But what I do want to do is this. I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage you, and I want to give you just a couple principles for how, how when, we, when we're talking about generosity in the local church, what does it look like? These, these principles should govern our lives, okay? So let me give you five, real quick. Number one is this, God owns everything. And I know that's obvious, but I think sometimes we hear that and we make it a negative statement. It is not. I'm gonna illustrate it in two ways. We think, oh, God owns everything. It means I got nothing. I own nothing. I'm, you know. And that's how we see it. But what I really want us to start seeing that principle is, I want you to start seeing it like a kid, Got four children, they would give away the house if we let them. I mean, friends come over, would you like this toy? Have my bike. Would you like my parents' car? I mean, they, they have two, all right? There's, a, there's, a, there's kind of a, something with kids. We go to someone's house, we always come home with one toy that we didn't go with. Because there's something about kids that they just, ownership, I know there's a time when they're like, mine, mine, I get that, but most of the time they're just, here you go, come to our house, eat our cereal. Drink our milk, you know, watch our TV, sit on our couch, enjoy our air. They just, they don't have that concept of ownership. And you know why? Because they don't pay for anything. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Let's be honest. But that's the kind of mentality we want to be with a church with our stuff. I'm not saying give away your house. I'm not, don't go home and say, Bill said we all need to live, live in a tent and give it away. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is have a childlike looseness to your stuff. So if God says, I want you to do this, you're just like, okay, yeah, take my bike. Right? Because that, that's the kind of, that's what it means when God owns everything. Here's another illustration. My dad, when I went off to the Citadel, big mistake, gave me his American Express gold card. 
and my name's the same as his name, so I could use it anywhere. And so I go to my buddies, Applebee's, <laughs> right? I take, the, I take all 12 of them. It's on me, y'all. Come on. It's on Pops, right? And we go out and we celebrate, and I'd pay for it. I'd throw that gold card down. It was great because I was spending dad's money, and I didn't care. It was easy to spend dad's money. It's easy to be generous with his stuff, right? Here's the thing. That's the, that, that's the mentality of God owns everything. It should be easy if it's all his and it's just getting transferred around to Applebee's and then to this person and this. If it's all his anyway and it's just getting transferred around, that's the mentality we would have. It's his, right? Now, when my dad got the bill at the end of the month, he wasn't so happy. $500 at Applebee's? But your father delights when you use his stuff for other people. And so that, when we talk about God owning everything, that's the mentality I want to have. Not this negative, yeah, I don't own anything. Nothing's mine. My house is not mine. My clothes aren't mine. No, no, no. It's God has given you stuff. And so just be open-handed with it. If he owns it, if he wants you to take it and transfer it over there, that's great. That is what we want to be as a church. That should govern our thoughtfulness when we give. Here's the second principle. It's related to the first, that our Father is a generous giver. He gives only good things. He gives nothing badly, and everything he gives is good. And I, and I know we always go, we side with the super spiritual, yes, we have the word of God. Yeah, that is good, and it is sweet, and it is good that he has given it to us, and he's given us forgiveness and love. But I mean, let's get super practical. Every good thing you have is a gift from God. I finished a great book last night. I've been reading it for the last month. A good book, y'all, is a gift. Good coffee that we provide is a good gift from God. A good conversation, a good night's sleep. Have some of y'all are so busy trying to get places, you forget how beautiful Savannah is. Have you driven over a bridge and just looked out and seen the beauty of what God has given you to enjoy? Have you walked on the beach? I mean, it's actually been cool enough the last couple of weeks to just go for a walk if you can avoid the flies. I don't know if they come out where you are, but how good is God to give us stuff like this? We forget. We only think about negative things. Oh, don't have this, don't have this. God is a good giver. So good, he ultimately gives his best. He gives his son, right? The father gives the son. What does he say? He did not spare his own son, gave it up for us all. How will he not graciously give us all things? If he gives his best, how, how loving of a father is. And these two principles, these, these govern everything we do. The other stuff is going to be more about us, but we are generous and we are givers. Why? Because God owns everything and God is a generous father. That has to govern what we do when it comes to money. Here's the third principle. Is that giving is love, is a sign of love and worship. For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave. Giving generosity is a litmus test of love. You will you follow the money. In fact, your money, your heart will follow your money because where your treasure is, your heart will be. It's a litmus test for love. Right? You know what's not a litmus test for love? Bible memory. Going to church. Being busy. These are not litmus tests. You know why? They can be faked. Anybody can do them? It's hard to fake generosity. Now, you can do it. Ananias and Sapphira did it in Acts 5, and God killed them. So don't fake generosity. <laughs> but it's harder to do it, right? 
your, your, your treasure, your, your treasure will follow, your heart will follow your treasure. And so what you love, you'll, you'll invest in. What you, you love food, you'll spend on food. You love this, you'll spend on food. And it's an issue of worship too. When Paul's talking to the Philippians about their gift to him, he says, I got it. He says, it was a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It was a fragrant offering. Your giving is worship. It's a sign of your love. Here's what I want us to be a church that does. And some of you pay online and you do the check and some of you drop it in the box and some of you, you mail it in. Here's what I want you to do when, you, when you're giving from now on. Don't go T-bowing in the, in the foyer, but just when you give, when you write the check, when you do whatever it is, just in your heart of hearts, tell God, tell Jesus, I love you. I'm giving this because I love you. I mean, physically do it. I love you, and so I'm giving. I, as a dad and as a husband, I love to hear, dad, I love you. I love to hear, honey, I love you. I, as a, as a broken person, love that. How much more does God the Father, when we tell him, Father, I love you. Thank you for, for providing for me. Just a little heart of worship. Just tell him you love him and then say, this is because I love you. When you send it off to Samaritan's Purse, I love you, God, and so I want to care for other people. I love you, God, so I'm going to send this to crew or wherever it is. Just express love to your father because your giving, your generosity is an issue of love. It's also an issue of joy. Here's the next point. If you look throughout the scripture, generosity and joy are always linked. There's this great narrative in Exodus 36 where Moses says, we're going to build this thing. It's called the tabernacle. God has shown me. So we need y'all to be generous and give your stuff. And the people of Israel are so generous, it gets to a point where Moses is like, stop giving your stuff. We got too much. Y'all are too joyful. Stop. Can you imagine a ministry or a church saying, y'all are just giving way too much money, y'all. You need to stop giving your money. Give it to the government. Don't give it to us. We don't need it anymore. Can you? But that's what was going on because they were so joyful. In Acts chapter 2, when the, when the early churches started, the people are selling their fields and their stuff, and they're giving the money, and there's great joy and gladness of heart. When Paul talks to the Corinthians about the Philippian church that is just a poor, broke church, he says they gave out of their poverty with joy. It's just linked. They're constantly linked, right? Joy and giving. Why? Because God wants a cheerful giver. He, he delights in a cheerful giver. He doesn't want reluctance or compulsion. According to 2 Corinthians, he wants cheerful. This is why we don't take an offering. Because I know what happens. Oh, I forgot my wallet. Here, you got a quarter? My hand moved. Did you see my hand move? I, I, we don't want reluctant giving. We want folks that are purposing in their heart, deciding beforehand, we're going to give. We don't want guilt giving. We just don't want it. And God doesn't want it. He doesn't want begrudging checks. He wants happy checks. A little smiley face in the memo line. <laughs> because here's the thing, y'all. He, he doesn't want your money. God, you hear, God does not want your money. What does he need it for? Is he going to go buy a house? Oh, I got this house on Tybee I've been saving up for. I need Because he doesn't need anything. But what he wants is your joy. He is ferociously after your joy, and he wants you to come to the realization that that following him and obeying him brings joy. That's why he says it's better to give than to receive. So he's not after your money, but he is after your joy. And so it's linked. Let your joy govern your giving, right? Because just statistics show, by the way, this is not even biblical, that generous people are more happy than non-generous people. Did you know that? They just are. He's after your joy. Here's the last, last point. 
is that even though we do not give to get, that's not what I'm saying, there are benefits to you when you give. All the vices of money for the love of money is the root of all evil, is what Paul says. Not money itself. God has given you all some money, and he's, it's not money. It's bad. Money is good. It's a gift from God. It's the love of money that is evil. And there's all sorts of vices, whether it's greed or discontentment or covetousness, that giving just helps fight. That ever-expanding principle, when you get more money, you just spend more money and fill your garage, that giving helps to fight, right? It, there's benefits for it. it. It builds your faith up. When you are generous, it actually builds your faith. When you, when, you, when you test God and you see him come through in a way that only he could, it builds your faith. Like the, the widow who has no food, she's got one meal left, and Elijah says, could you make it for me? And he says, she says, it's our last meal, and we're going to die. He says, just trust me. Make it for me. And God uses it, and the oil and the flour just never wear out. You get to see God come through in ways that only he can. It's a fight against anxiety and worry. Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, why are you worried about your food and your clothes? I know you need these things. You see the birds? They're not worried about their food. You see the flowers? They're not worried about their clothes. How much more valuable are you, my children, to me than them? Just seek first the kingdom, his righteousness. I'll take care of these things. So when you're generous and you give, it helps fight anxiety and worry. And then, and ultimately, here, here's a biggie, and here's what Christ constantly tells us, is that you, you build treasure in heaven. If you can't take it with you, you can put it in a coffin if you want, and you can have all these things, just like the old pharaohs of old did, but you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And when you invest in those things that matter, and there's only two things that last, people and the word. When you invest in those things, you are investing in the kingdom where moth doesn't get to it, and rust doesn't get to it. Investing what Jesus says lasts. And, and I know, here, I know some of you have been burned by churches. I know. Because they've been spent, they're just, you know, men and money, wherever, and people seem to be, nothing seems to be getting on, and people keep, seem to be getting richer. And you have been, you've been abused, and every six months they're asking for more money, and they always have this and that and the other. I understand that some of you come from that background. And I don't know what other churches do, but I do know what we do. And we spend God's money because it's not our money. And I have no say, by the way. I don't have a Bill Fowler credit card. Woo, the Bill Fowler credit I don't have any of that. I don't decide my side. I don't do any of that. We spend the money in four areas at this church. Operations, that's paying for the AC. Thank the Lord. <laughs> we pay for salaries. We do benevolence. And we do missions. And if you have any question about any of those, you grab our executive pastor, Rad Harrell, He'll sit down with you. He will open the books and show you everything. You can come anytime you want. Nothing to hide. When it comes to paying our bills, operations, we pay our bills as soon as we get them. We don't wait six months. We don't wait a year. We, don't, we want to have a good reputation with Georgia Power and all the air, air conditioning, so we pay it right away, right? Water company. When it comes to salaries, we kind of match whatever churches that are our size in our region, whatever their, their youth pastor makes average, we, we kind of we put ourselves in the middle. Right? No one's making a bazillion dollars a year. No one's starving. We just put ourselves right in the middle. Right? We make the average. Um, when it comes to benevolence, here's the two areas we spend on benevolence. We take care of our folks who are our members and our attendees. And then we take care of this neighborhood right here. Someone up the street says, I can't pay my water bill. We help them. 
because God has put us in this neighborhood, and so we want to be a light to this neighborhood, and we want to be generous. Those are the two areas we spend in benevolence, and we spend a lot of money in benevolence in this neighborhood and for the people. And then the last thing we do is missions. We put 10% of our budget minimum aside for missions every year. And so every time you give here, you're investing in our four pastors in Vietnam who we pay their entire salary. Their entire salary is paid by CBC. Four guys, full time. You're paying for my buddy in Dallas who does homeless ministry. Every time a lady goes to the Living Vine who's a single mom, you're, you're helping support her. Every time there's a woman downtown at the Savannah Care Center that's talked out of abortion, you're, you're part of that. Right? My buddy who goes all over the world training pastors, Ramesh Richard, you're, you're supporting pastoral training throughout the world. You got, you got one of ours in Poland right now ministering to young adults. You got folks that work with the Jesus film. We got folks in the state capitol doing Bible studies. We got folks all over the world in China underground at the underground church, and you are a part of that when you invest here. And we just happen to think that investing in God's word and God's people, it's a good investment, and it will last, right? So that is a benefit to you. And so last question is this. How do we start? Where do we go from here, right? What's, what's next for us? Here's what I would say. As Corinthians says, each must has give as he's decided in his heart, right? Not begrudging. Oh. Not begrudgingly, not reluctantly. You go home if you're a single person and you just pray, Holy Spirit, show me what you want me to give. I trust the Holy Spirit who lives in each one of you as a Christian that he's going to lead you. If you're a couple and you're, if you've never started giving, maybe this is a starting place for you, get together, you guys pray, look at budget and say, where, let's, let's pray about this and what does God want us to give? And here's where I think the tithe is helpful. It's a good starting place. That 10%... As one writer says, it's the floor, it's not the ceiling. If the old covenant saints were under law and they're giving 10, those under grace, that should be a good starting place for us. So ask yourself, what, what causes us to have to have faith and to give sacrificially and to be generous? And then you, no one's checking up on you, no one's coming, all right, bring your QuickBooks into your membership meeting, I want to see what you got here. No one's doing that. It's between you and God. And I will never... I'll never know what you give, y'all. I will never know. I don't see it. I don't want to see it. I don't know if you give or not. And I don't care for, for the sake of budget. I do care for the sake of your benefit. Just like Paul, I don't want your money. I want your joy. I want the credit that is in your, for your account, as Paul says to the Philippians. If you're a young 16-year-old, 15-year-old, 12-year-old, don't think that you're too young to start. It's easier to start at 12 than it is at 40. If you're a college student that's just babysitting once a week for 20 bucks, and you're like, does God really need my $2? He doesn't need your $2, and he doesn't need your $2 trillion either. But here's the thing. Jesus says the, the widow who gave two pennies, she gave more than everybody else because she gave out of her poverty. God knows where you're at. And some of you are thinking, oh, 10%. We're in, we got some bills, and we got some, it's tight now. I don't know if we can do that. Here's what I'd say to you. Give God three months. Just do this for three months. Right off the top, for three months, test God in this. And I promise you on the authority of his goodness and his unchangingness that he will provide. Math may not make sense. I understand that. Trust me. I did three years in seminary making $24,000 a year with two kids. Uh, my wife stayed home with the kids. I had a mortgage. And we left with no consumer debt. All right. Now, I drove a 1986 Honda with 200,000 miles that leaked every fluid known to man. <laughs> Gave it away before I graduated. Had a free car given to us. Had people give us checks for $100 here and there. But that's what God does when you step out in faith and trust him. 
I'm just, I'm, I, God is faithful. And I promise you, you come back in three months, we'll put you on a video because you're going to say, this is what God has done. And we're going to put it in front of the church so that people can see and still be reminded. It'll be an Ebenezer for us that God still keeps his word, that he is still faithful, that he is unchanging, that he is the same yesterday and today forever. And so I want your joy. I want your benefit. I don't want your money. And I want to be a church that generously just gives ourselves to the Lord. And if you're like, well, I want to give this, I want to give this Mariners first. Can I do that? Please. We did this week. We gave a bunch of money because of the earthquake in Nepal. Well, I, want, I have a buddy who's on the mission field. Can I give to him? Yes. Do it. You do it. You do what God tells you to do. That's the beauty of it. It's all his. It's just getting mixed around. Just do what he says to do. And it'll bring you joy, and it'll bring us joy, and people will delight, just like back in verse 12. People will see you and say, like, there's something about that guy. He's buying lunch for everybody. Generous guy. What's this world coming to? Right? That's, look, that's the kind of smile we want on y'all's faces. Right? When you come in here, and you're in this crowded room, and the balcony's 1,000 degrees, and video venue people are like, oh, love it. Just a joyful group of people who love Christ. That's what we want to be, right? And so let's just, God is good. God is generous. He's given us all things. Let's be a generous church back, right? Let's stand. Let's sing and worship. And video venue folks, we want you to come over here now because we're going to baptize in a few minutes and you don't want to see it from over there. So come on over. People will sit in the windows. We'll slide, put them in the aisles. That's what we do. So you guys come on right now. Let me pray and we will start singing. Father, you are good and gracious and generous to us, and so we want to be so to others. Please help us to be. Give us the faith we need. Provide for our needs, Lord. Not necessarily everything we want, because you know what's best for us, but Lord, we trust you provide for our needs. You have given us this building. You're building a building behind us. Father, if there's needs in this church, uh, let people know. Let them tell us so that we can meet them. And as we sing and worship, may this be uh, a pleasing aroma to you, a fragrant offering as we sing. In Christ's name, amen.